This idea of there being two faces to Christmas reminds me of, say, if somebody came up and gave you a silver dollar and uh, you turned it over and the backside was blank. There was no image at all. You'd say, hey, wait, wait a minute, that's not an authentic silver dollar. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to use that. Or, or a dollar bill, the same thing. You flipped it over and the backside, there's not even any printing on it. You'd say, oh, that's not authentic. And I believe in the same way with Christmas. There's, there's two sides to it. There's a traditional side and then often also a side that's often neglected. And I appreciate this morning that we've already been talking about things happening in China. That, that's, uh, it's not a, a neglected part of Christmas here, but that both are vital. And both are important in us having a realistic expectation about our lives and about the Christian faith. And uh, Helen and I, when we've done marital counseling, and actually with short terms, I've learned that a lot of things in life, if you have realistic expectations, things go so much better for you. And if you have unrealistic expectations, things go so much worse for you. Uh, one thing we think of, like with Bo and Cindy, when we'd host short-term teams, we'd always try to lower their expectation. And we'd say, well, you're probably, the hotel you're going to stay in probably has a squatty potty. Um, even if it didn't, we would want them, to, it's so much easier for someone to come and say, oh, I thought it was going to be a squatty potty and it's a regular toilet. It's easy to go up. But if you had an unrealistic expectation, you were going to have a western toilet and you get there and it's a hole in the ground, you're like, oh, well, that's a little harder. And the same thing in marriage, maybe like, I remember in my family, my mom did all the finances. So I thought Helen would do all the finances in our marriage. Well, I, I had a, a lesson coming to me. Um, I had an unrealistic expectation, and to lower that expectation is a lot harder than, say, if my expectation was I would do all the car repair, and then I found out, oh, Helen's a master mechanic. Oh, wow, great. You know, that's easy to go up. Um, so expectations, especially unrealistic ones, I think are, are harmful in all of our life. The more realistic, the better things go. So as we look at this, first this one side of the coin, the Christmas coin, we might say, uh, the traditional view of Christmas is most commonly seen in, in Luke 2, probably the most famous Christian uh, Christmas passage. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Luke 2. Otherwise, just listen to this familiar and amazing story, this historical account, account of these amazing events. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, or who he is to be engaged with who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, or strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger. I always like to say, and laid him in a feed trough. A manger, somehow we have this magical view of this, I don't know, but a feed trough, man, that's nasty. But she laid him in a feed trough, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and strips of cloth and lying in a feed trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
well, let's go over to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a feed trough. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This beautiful story is the, the traditional Christmas story that we hear. Now as we go on, we begin to get into more of the neglected side of Christmas, the other side of the coin that's equally important. Without both sides, it's not authentic. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, meaning in the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It says a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons must be sacrificed. But we know if we go back to that passage, it says that's only to be sacrificed if they can't afford a lamb. And so here we have Mary and Joseph. They have to give up the sacrifice of turtle doves or young pigeons because though in her womb she's carrying the Son of God, the Messiah, they don't have the money. Wonder how that made them feel. Did it make them wonder? God, what's going on? Why would you not have the Messiah to have a proper sacrifice. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took the baby in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said here directly to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So here we see that both sides, the blessing, the Savior for all peoples, not just for the Jews, which they had been thinking about. They were waiting for their Messiah. But Simeon, this man of God, led by the Holy Spirit, tells him, no, it's for the Gentiles that all the peoples of the world will have a Savior. And this Savior is going to cause some to rise and others to fall. And then those haunting words. Can you imagine being Mary and hearing these words? Simeon looks at you and says, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. You'd have to think, what does that mean? What do you mean a, a sword is going to pierce my soul? And I believe as the years went on, that was a question one of the things she pondered, Mary's always saying Mary's pondering things. And I wonder, I wonder when her husband, Joseph, died, before, Mary, before Jesus even started his ministry, I wonder if Mary thought, Lord, is, is this the, the sword that was to pierce my heart? That my husband isn't here to see my son? 
in his ministry to do what you sent him to do, whatever that is. She's still unclear about that. You know, her whole life, I think she would have asked that. Till finally at the cross, when she watches her son be beaten so brutally, she realizes what that sword was to have to witness her son so brutally beaten. So here we see both sides of this coin, and, and both are so important. We see in this story the wonder of the incarnation, that God would enter our evil, broken world as a helpless babe, dependent completely on human beings for his survival, upon his mother and father. And there is great wonder in that. The humility of Jesus, that he'd be willing to enter our world like that, that he'd be willing to come knowing when he was in heaven, knowing with the Father all things from the beginning, knowing the end from the beginning, knowing he was going to have to suffer, and yet he was still willing to come to humble himself and become a human being and be laid in a feed trough. That's amazing. His humility, his obedience, the wonder of it. The fact that God gave us this greatest of gifts, and in Jesus, he promises joy and peace and eternal life. So there is so much, even in our traditional view. I'm not saying by any means the traditional view of Christmas is bad or wrong. We should be rejoicing in the peace, the eternal life, the joy that Jesus brings us. We should be filled with wonder at Christmas. And uh, help us capture this, as I think it's important not just to think it right in our mind, but even to feel it and experience. So if you'll help me, I want to just sing a few songs um, that express some of this Christmas joy we have, both secular and sacred. And I think singing secular songs that are filled with joy is wonderful. It's, we're singing it unto the Lord. He's given us this blessed life. Uh, one of my favorite ones that we're going to sing first is Sleigh Ride. And I want to do it if you have your house keys or your car keys, if you bring them out. It's really the only proper way to sing this song. I think I have mine. We have to shake your keys. You know, these days with car keys just being one, it's a little, sometimes a little harder. But bring your keys out. One of the th- reasons this song I love so much is I love the snow. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. We didn't get snow every year, but we got it many years. And... My tail, he was born in, uh, or he was six months old when we went to China. When we came home on our first furlough, he was five years old, and he'd never experienced uh, snow, and I was really praying and hoping that year there'd be snow. We went back to Cincinnati for Christmas, and we live on a, a street called Embassy Drive. It's in the E section. Next to it is a street called Exmoor, and, and both of them are the, on a long hill, uh, but ours is kind of a gradual hill. In Exmoor, they have a really steep hill, and then it just evens out at the bottom. Well, one of the first couple nights we were back, it was really cold, but it rained. It was kind of a bummer, the rain and cold weather. But then toward evening, the temperature dropped, and it started snowing. So I don't know if, Tao, you even remember this, but about 11 o'clock at night, your Uncle Mark and Aunt Carla and our whole family went out and we walked up Exmoor Hill with our sleds from my childhood. And we didn't slide down the grass. We slid down the street on our sleds. It was so icy and there was snow on top. It was perfect. It was fast. And I remember having you on my back going down that hill and just saying, wow, this is the good life. What an incredible memory that was. So I have a lot of joy when I think of that. So join with me. Sing out on this, this, this song, Sleigh Ride. Let's take that road before us and sing a chorus or two. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. There's a birthday party at the home of Farmer Gray. It'll be the perfect ending of a perfect day. We'll be singing the songs we love to sing without a single stop. 
at the fireplace while we watch the chestnuts pop. Pop, 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 there's a happy feeling nothing in this world can buy. When they pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie, it'll nearly be like a picture print by Courier and Eyes. These wonderful things are the things we remember all through our lives. Okay, thank you very much. We won't sing the whole thing. Give yourself a hand. All right, isn't it fun to be on a sleigh to celebrate in the Christmas spirit around the fireplace with our family, coffee, pumpkin pie? These are all a gift from God that we should celebrate at Christmas, of the many gifts that he gives us. But also there are sacred songs. One of my favorite is Silent Night. And let's sing that together. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. What a beautiful song that captures some of the, the wonder of Christmas. And finally, I'd like to sing a song for you that, that I've always uh, loved. And I'm not sure, not everyone's always familiar with it. But it's a song that a shepherd must have sung at some point. I wonder as I wander out under the sky how Jesus my Savior did come forth to die for poor sinful people like you and like I I wonder as I wander out under the sky. When Mary birthed Jesus, t'was in a cow stall, with wise men and farmers and shepherds and all. But high from God's heaven, a starlight did fall. And the promise of ages the world finally saw. I wonder as I wander out under the sky how Jesus my Savior did come forth to die. For poor sinful people like you and like I, I wonder as I wander out under the sky. And I pray that sense of wonder in that song. My prayer is that all of us will experience that, that sometime in this Christmas season, you'll sit and think and be filled with wonder about the message of Christmas, that Jesus would leave his privileged place in heaven and choose to come down and suffer for us. And that even from his birth, people would be trying to kill him what kind of a life is that? 
to be born. And from day one, people are trying to snatch your life. But that's Christmas. It's both sides. It's the wonder, the joy, the peace, and also the reality that we're involved in a spiritual battle, in a war, and war is hell. Life at times is not comfortable. It's not easy. And as if that's not enough, I want us to, to look again. I think last year we, we looked at this as well, as well at Revelation 12. And I just remember the first time that I read this, I was just dumbfounded at this alternative view of Christmas. If you have your Bible, open to Revelation 12. I, I never, years ago when I first saw this, I never expected to see the Christmas story in Revelation. But here it is, Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. As we start reading this, the first clue is here's a woman with the sun and the moon. Well, how do we figure this out? Well, the very famous story about a man who had a dream. And in the dream, there was the sun and the moon and 12 stars. Remember who that was? Joseph. Okay, and it was that, that uh, all of a sudden these 12 she's and they all bow down to him. So this imagery is of Joseph from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Jacob's son Joseph that became second to Pharaoh. So very famous in Israel's history. So clearly this, this woman is a Jew. The imagery points back to Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, meaning struggles with God, and his son was Jacob. So we have this Jewish woman who was pregnant. Well, who might that be? Okay, I don't think this is rocket science. Uh, it's a picture of Mary. All right, it goes on. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the, agony of, uh, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Whoa. A little bit different version of the Christmas story, isn't it? Pretty startling. Then it says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God. In the NIV it says, the child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay, very cryptic passage, but... It gives us some clues. First of all, who was the red dragon? The great red dragon. Anybody, any guesses? Satan. How do we know that? Well, look on down into verse 9. And it tells us, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Okay, so we know we got that part of the story right, uh, that we're on track here. Also, then it talks about this woman gives birth to a child who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. In Psalms, it talks about the Messiah. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Another confirmation. This child was Jesus. The mother was Mary. What gets confusing is he's born and then suddenly snatched up. It almost is a picture of Jesus was born. Three minutes later, whoop, he went up to heaven. But as we look at this passage, this is a big overarching look at the, the history and the future of Israel. So time is compressed in many places. And then it mentions this time of 1,260 days. About how many years is that, you mathematicians? What's that? Okay, three and a half years. 
All right, and we know that the tribulation is going to be a time of seven years, but that there's three and a half years in the first part, three and a half in the second. And there's different views. Some people believe the church will be raptured at the beginning, at the middle of the three and a half years, or at the end of it. But this idea of three and a half years is seen all throughout Revelation and Daniel and other places, referring to the tribulation. So this is a picture of the future. And as the story goes down, you see the next chapter heading is Satan is thrown down to earth. Um, The first beast comes, the second beast. So it's talking about this cosmic war that's going on in the backgrounds and how there'll be the the two prophets, there'll be the Antichrist, um, the false prophet. Uh, All these are, are laid out in these coming chapters. So with I believe, great certainty, we can say, yes, this is the Christmas story, uh, kind of told in a rather dark way, very sobering way, and realizing that we're living in the middle of these times. We're living in this time where there's a background of an incredibly intense spiritual warfare going on. Sometimes we see it and feel it. Many times we're oblivious to it often to our demise, when we forget, when we turn our coin over and it's blank. It's inauthentic. But our view of the Christian life is authentic when we realize there's two sides, this glorious, blessed side and the the dark side, the side that's sober, that we're involved in a battle. But I'm not here to be a Grinch today and rain on anybody's Christmas, there's good news. We know that in this battle we win and we will live with God for eternity. So there is, is great good news ahead as we look at this. But Luke 2, then the end of it, we see the other side, this neglected side of Christmas. I think it's important that we don't neglect it, that we also see the end parts of Luke 2 and Revelation 12. It reveals that life involves an uh, incredible spiritual warfare and that life isn't comfortable or easy. And with this, if I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of trying to make my life work, to try to make it be smooth and to make it be easy. And when that becomes the central goal of our life, it is misplaced and you, no one will be happy making that the goal of their life because this world is not... Made God didn't make this world to be comfortable and easy. So if you're trying to make your life comfortable and easy and go all smooth all the time, and that's your primary goal, that's a misplaced goal. But instead, we want to fulfill God's purposes in our lives. We want to do His will. We want to be obedient and faithful to Him and, and go with Him through the different inevitable difficulties that will come in all of our lives. That should be our goal, to be faithful to him and to glorify him. Again, this is essential, this perspective that there's two sides to this Christmas coin. Otherwise, we have unrealistic expectations, and unrealistic expectations is just mess up everything, make life really difficult. Now, I want us to look at the Passion of the Christ, which is about Christ's uh, death and resurrection. But there's some clips in it that I think are really important to to catch. I think uh, in that film, they so masterfully, with some artistic license, of course, here, show this spiritual battle that was going on behind the scenes at Jesus' death. So let's uh, watch these clips for a minute and see if you don't capture and capture. Your heart isn't captured. Det är min hand. Det är närskärt. 
كاهيل لما هير موضعه ليقول هبه بخك الساين نفشي هذا ناي بخك سيتي Anastigai Temple curtains been cut in half. Pretty intense, huh? I want to thank Teo for splicing those clips together. They, they're so powerful. Yes, there's a lot of artistic license taken there, but the director was trying to show there was an amazing spiritual battle going on. And I love the ending, that juxtaposition of Satan in his fury, and then it ends with this beautiful sunset. It it's makes us a bit uncomfortable. How, but this, that's our life. We have moments of beautiful wonder and blessing and joy. And then our lives have these times where we are undoubtedly know we're involved in a spiritual battle. It's, it's a paradox, but it's real. It's the way life is. And it's amazing. Now, when we, we watch that movie, we think of Easter, and it makes sense. But imagine if they're actually making a follow-up to that movie, the sequel of um, Jesus after his resurrection. It's supposed to be a fantastic movie. But what if they made a prequel? In the prequel, if we saw that androgynous dark figure that was playing Satan lurking in the movie, we'd maybe we'd think, well, that's out of place. That doesn't belong. The Christmas story is a beautiful, happy story. But I want us to think more about that idea. 
Um, I think if they made a film, um, the same type of film for the birth of Christ, we would see that figure, that portrayal of Satan in many scenes. Maybe we'd see it when uh, it's announced to, to Mary and, and Joseph, uh, and then we see the vill- that, they're, that Mary is pregnant, and Satan's behind the scenes tempting her to believe, how can you be, you're a virgin, how can you be pregnant? What is going on? You, can you, you can't trust with God with this. Or then when Joseph finds out, and he feels so betrayed, Certainly Satan was trying to destroy him and tempt him. This woman is a tramp. You can't marry her. She has betrayed you. She has portrayed herself as this holy, righteous woman. But she's made a mockery of you. Divorce her publicly. Make a spectacle of that and bring shame upon her. I think we'd have seen Satan whispering into the ears of all the villagers, and as Bo and Cindy and our families know in China, you live in a village and everybody knows your business. So when they found out that Mary was pregnant and they weren't married yet, you know word of that spread throughout that village. And picture the scene of that Satan figure whispering in the villagers' ears lies to say about and, and curses to bring upon Mary and Joseph and the gossip. Oh, they're always acting like they're so righteous, but look at them. They are such disgraceful sinners. Trying to get them to say that and communicate it. Or when they're on the road to Bethlehem and Mary is so pregnant, they're ready just to give up. That figure appears, tempts them, saying, just give up. Don't believe in God. Look, he's deserted you. He's forced you to have this painful journey. What kind of God would do that with his own son, supposedly? When they got to the inn, and there's no room in all of Bethlehem for a suitable place for the birth of the Savior, a figure appears trying to get them to doubt God. This isn't of God what you're doing. God would never allow you to struggle like this And then a barn, certainly this isn't God's provision. God has deserted you. Now, Mary, you've got to put your baby in a dirty feed trough. Where is your God? I think the figure would appear over and over again. When they went and spoke with Simeon, and he tells Mary, Mary, a sword will pierce your heart as well. Satan would have been saying, see, There's nothing but trouble ahead for you. You should never have gotten into this. God is going to harm you. He's out to destroy you. And then when the Magi come, and Herod looks at him and says one of the most brutal, ruthless, bold-faced lies of history, he tells the Magi, go, diligently look to find this king so that I may go and worship him too his mouth dripping with lies. And then, not long after that, finding out that they went to Bethlehem and that they didn't return, so he sends his army to go and kill all the boy babies two years and younger in that area. Certainly, the film would have shown that Satan figure behind the scenes doing all those things. So I think in the the Christmas story, a movie of it would show just as much a spiritual battle as the crucifixion. I recently heard someone talking about, well, if there was you were to pick a movie that would best capture the meaning and significance of Christmas, what would it be? What do you think? What are some ideas? The most common guess people have is, it's a wonderful life. Uh, And while there's some great aspects to that, I heard a speaker, and he said, no, it's a much different movie that would best signify the meaning and significance of Christmas. 
Anybody know what that is? It was alluded to by Pastor Wang Yi in his talk. Not the movie, but the event. D-Day. And the movie, Saving Private Ryan. The speaker said, that's the movie that best captures what happened at Christmas. This invasion, this battle where many, so many of the European forces and American forces were killed on the beaches of Normandy at great price. But it was the battle that broke the back of Germany, broke the back of the Third Reich. And though there still, I think, was another nine months of battles after the victory at Normandy, there was a sense that this is the beginning of the end. It's over. We will certainly defeat them. And the same with Christ on the cross. When he stomps on Satan's head, the serpent's head, though he's wounded, it's the the defeating blow. He has defeated death and sin and given us eternal life and gives us a new life. So it's a story like saving Ryan, Ryan, the the uh, overcoming of the great resistance. Many lives lost appears to be a great tragedy, but in fact, it's a hard-fought victory at great price that ensures that the war is won. That's what Christmas. Jesus came and led this invasion. The world is called in the Bible, the, um, Satan is called the prince of this kingdom, the lord of this world. And so it was his territory, and Jesus came and broke the power so that we could have victory through it. C.S. Lewis said this, speaking of Jesus' coming, enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage, defeating Satan's efforts to try to thwart God's purposes. But instead, we work with God to build his kingdom, to bring him glory, to see his kingdom established. Amy Carmichael, the famous missionary to India, said, We will have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only a few short hours to win them. And so she says to us, and calls out from history, Give your lives to building God's kingdom, to the Lord, to walking with Him, to obeying Him, being faithful to Him, to pleasing Him, to glorifying Him. Not to trying to make your life go smooth, not just for your personal happiness. Live your life obediently to the Lord. Fight to build His kingdom because the day is coming when we will celebrate. Well, I found that there was, I think I mentioned last year that in Africa, I've heard there, um, when they do, in certain places, when they tell the Christmas story and do a pageant, that they end the pageant with the killing of the children. But I found an interesting pageant that was done in the 1500s in England, in a place called Coventry, England. And this famous song came out of it. Listen now as we play it and try to figure out what is this poignant Christmas lullaby all about.
So we're going to pause it here. And I want to ask, who is this poor youngling that these mothers are singing to? Is it a lullaby? I thought they were singing bye-bye as the baby goes to sleep. But in almost a cruel twist, this next verse reveals that in this Christmas pageant, what they were singing about. Listen to it now. So it's a song they're singing to their dead babies that Herod has come and slain. But it's a Christmas pageant, but it reflects our world. Our world's filled with wonderful blessings and it's filled with evil, with wonder and pain, love and injustice. Our world knows conflict, miscarriages, death. So we don't ever want to think that by living in Orange County or by living in Los Angeles that we can build a life completely walled off from hurt and pain. All we need to do is walk out our front door and we face it sooner or later. But I'm, you might be asking what kind of a Christmas message is this Mr. Grinch? No, there, there is good news. There, there needs to be evil. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about that. For, for there to be true love, there has to be the option of disobedience and hate for people to choose whether they're going to love God or disobey Him, to do what's right or do what's wrong. We can't have good. We can't truly have good if we don't have a choice. We'd just be robots. But when we have a choice, that love can be a real, authentic love. Justice can be a real, authentic justice when there exists also injustice. There can't be light without dark, good without bad. We need both sides of the Christmas coin. So I want all of us, enjoy your Christmas, but keep both sides of it. Some people ask, well, why is it that we have this longing for a life that works right, that goes right. And why are we always so disappointed when we have troubles in our life? Why is that? And I'm convinced God has placed that in us. And one day he will fulfill that. 
He will give us the life we all long for, but it's not this life. It's in the life to come when he takes us to heaven to be with him and creates a new heaven and a new earth. And he dries every tear. And for eternity, we'll live in the land of righteousness where there's justice and pure joy and peace and all the things we long for. But till then, we live in a broken world. And he calls us to win our victories now for him, to live for him, for we will have a day to celebrate those victories. So enjoy your Christmas. Enjoy your eggnog and your presence. Thank God for all the blessings in your life. Take time this Christmas season to marvel at the wonder of what God has done. And take time to remind yourself that you are in a battle as well. And we can't neglect that. But we can live in that paradox of a battle in the midst of blessings and a wonderful life that God promises to take us through. And he promises he will never leave us or forsake us but in fact will use all the difficulties in our life for good, for our good, to transform us into his likeness. That's the good news of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And help us this year to really celebrate both sides of Christmas. Lord, help us all to take time and be filled with wonder and to be renewed in our spirits to say, yes, I will be in the Lord's army. I will fight this fight. I will battle against the evil in our world. I will work to establish God's kingdom, to please him by being obedient to him, by doing good to others, by blessing my neighbors, by blessing my enemies, by pleasing the Lord in every part of my life for his glory. It's for the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.